Michael Graf. The details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my Helm of Disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus-five Holy Avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking, because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. It is my opinion, he is a danger to himself and others, and is in need of treatment. Finally, a guy in broadcasting that represents the very average side of us all. The following broadcast is in the hands of a college-educated, barely-employed guy that does a podcast for an audience of fewer people than Paris Hilton has brain cells. It's hard to imagine that he's perpetually single. Now, from the middle of desert Urbania... This is Michael Graf in exile. I don't know if you heard that. During the intro, I was sitting here. I'm chomping at the bit to get on the air and get this thing rolling. All right, welcome in. Yes, the infrequent, but still still hanging on. Michael Graf with you. Another edition of Michael Graf in exile underway. It is... Wednesday, March 17th, 2010, St. Patrick's Day. I'm not wearing green. I'm rebelling! All right, a big show planned for you today, as well as there always are. Well, whenever we do decide to sit down and do a podcast, chances are they're going to be big shows. I mean, you figure if I do a show once a week, which is about what I'm doing now, Hey, listen, man. Depression is a is a hell of a thing. All right, look, um, we've got we we do have some serious stuff to get into. Lots of things happening. Um, wow, 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 wow. What has gone on in the last week? First of all, the healthcare situation. We obviously we're going to be talking about that quite extensively. There's been a lot of movement, a lot of shifting on it. I want to come at it from a slightly different angle right now. I want to really cut through a lot of the BS. And I want to get through and, and actually break this thing down and, and try and figure out what it is, what the American people really want, what Congress is telling you, what the legality of all of this is, why both sides are screaming that the other side is, is nothing more than a bunch of hypocrites. Like, I want to cut through all the BS. We're going to have to get out a great big... I, I, a chainsaw will not do it. We got to get the BS bulldozer out because it's stacked up and it is deep and it stinks. So we're going to go through that. And of course, all of our other usual features, the Michael Graff Show stupid news file. You know, I haven't checked the pop chart in like, uh, well, whenever the, I don't know. I don't even know when the last time I did a, a, a the pop chart was. We haven't even looked at that. If I am here to do a podcast Friday, well, if I am motivated enough to do a podcast on Friday... Odds are we will uh, take a look at the pop chart then. Until then, guess I'll just uh, guess I'll just keep that on the uh, on the shelf for another couple of days. And uh, let's see, there's there are other things aside from just the healthcare debate. There are actually other things going on. There was a jobs bill that was uh, pushed through the Senate. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Yeah, there are other things happening in Congress other than the health care debate, although you wouldn't know it. And um, the House, the House switchboard has just been overloaded with calls. People are calling their representatives, and I think, based on what I'm hearing, the overwhelming sentiment is that people are saying, No! 
They are, by and large, rejecting this. And people on, on both sides, uh, it, it should be noted, people on both sides are rejecting this. This isn't just a, uh, well, as they have been called, this isn't an obstructionist party situation. The Republicans, this isn't just about Republicans. It's about Democrats that are not happy about the content of the bill either. Of course, I'm not happy about it for a slew of other reasons. All right, so I, I suppose we should get into this. Let me let me just start by saying I want to really cut through the BS of all of this. All right, I want to go through, and I actually want to break down. I want to find out what some of the truths are. So what I have decided to do in my pre-show, in my research that I do for this program, I decided to go back and take a look at some of these polls, all right? Because I want to find out what the pulse of the American people really is. Now, before I go into this, I should point out, you know, I had a professor in college. His name was uh, Mr. Rowe, all right? He was my meteorology professor back many, many years ago. It seems like forever ago. And he would always say, one of the first things he ever said in his class was, the thing to remember is, there's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics, and the problem with statistics, and, and I had a psychology professor who basically said the same thing. The problem with statistics is people can find statistics that will back up their argument, whatever that argument is. They will, this guy, my psychology, my um, psychology professor, he loved pie charts. And he would say, well, what you do is you just quote from a different pie until it is the pie that you believe in. And so that's what's been going on. You know, I turn on the liberal talking point radio. I turn on the, the Tom Hartmans and Randy Rhodes and uh, the Mike Malloy's of the world. And they quote their polls and they tell you that Americans are overwhelmingly in favor of this health care bill. But then how can that be? Because then I turn around and I turn on Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck, all these other guys. And then they're saying, no, the American people are overwhelmingly against it. And every poll I seem to find, well, most of them. And so I went back and I looked. I took a look at the last uh, two months worth of polling data, actually since about the beginning of the year. I went to my own news archive, the archive that I keep of, uh, of show information and my own show notes. And I also went back and I took just a, a look around at all the various polls, including Rasmussen, ABC, uh, MSNBC polls, or NBC polls rather. Uh, there's uh, CNN USA Today Gallup poll. There's all these different polls, okay? So I've, I've pulled up all the data. All right, now, there's, uh, there's like 30-some polls here that I've looked at. Most of the polls, Americans, when asked about either, well, <clears throat> I'll break it down this way. When asked about the health care legislation, in every poll except for three, in every poll except three that I found, Americans were anywhere from 53 to 68% opposed to the healthcare legislation that's out there. These were just in the polls that I found that I was going through all my news archives. And listen, I looked, I dug deep, but there were, there were polls that sided with uh, the, the liberal side of the argument. There were three that I found. Now, uh, there's, in fact, just as recently as yesterday, here's one that was put up by NBC. Now, again, I know people are going to say, well, Mike Rasmussen, that's like the Republican Party poll, um, which I think is kind of BS. But OK, if that's what you believe, fine. So uh, here's one from NBC. OK, not exactly the bastion for conservatism. OK, and here we have uh, they asked about the health care legislation. They say 48 percent oppose, 48 percent oppose, 36 percent in favor that's a 12-point spread, certainly well outside of the margin of error. Then, when it comes to socialized medicine in general, an overwhelming number of Americans, and the polls on this are, there are fewer polls on this, but the overwhelming majority of Americans are opposed to that idea as well. So there you go. That's the pulse. And again, that just depends on how much stock you really want to put into a poll. Personally, I don't put a lot of stock into them. I, I always find it weird when we go by the pulse of America based on a survey of 1,200 people. We have a nation of 300 million, and we go based on 1,200. And I understand. Listen, I took statistics. I uh, took psychology. I understand uh, sampling, T-sampling. I understand all of the basic methodologies used in polling. I understand margin of error. I understand. But nonetheless, um, there's 
How come then, when we when we have these polls, there's such a wide variation in the percentages? And again, well, there's lots of reasons. There's how the question is asked. There's uh, the area of uh, in which you've asked the question, what type of people you've been asking. There's all sorts of sampling issues there. So it's hard for me to put a lot of stock into a lot of these polls. That said, I just thought I would bring this to your attention. All right, so there's that. There's the the polling stuff. And then you've got all these talk show hosts. You've got everybody just blasting each other. You know, this is, it's just something I've been thinking about for a while. Slightly off topic here. This issue has really brought about how polarized this country has become just in my lifetime, and not even just in my lifetime, but in the last 10 years. The difference between the left and the right, the difference between people has just, the gap, is it be, it's become wider than the damn Grand Canyon. People are finding less and less to agree on, and America is becoming increasingly polarized. The, the dialogue on both sides has become very, very fierce. It has become extremely just, well... I would say the discourse in general has become more pejorative and less civil. It really has. And this goes on both sides. If you think one side is superior to the other, you've got another thing coming. The difference is that there's probably more voices on the right. But don't think for a second that the voices on the left. I mean, you've got people like Ed Schultz that say that they'd cheat if they could to keep the bastards out. You know, it's the kind of thing. It's just it's the name calling. It's the rhetoric. It's all that kind of stuff. It's the polarizing discourse that goes on. And the problem is, I understand when you're fervently opposed to something. I'm fervently opposed to this uh, to this health care bill. OK, I'm opposed And I will get on and I will voice my opposition as I am entitled to and as anybody who's in favor of is entitled to voice their opinion. It's just that the problem is, is here we are, we're attacking all of these other hosts. We're we're not just attacking the host. We're attacking the host, their family. We're attacking the host, uh, their their religious beliefs. I mean, people are going after Glenn Beck. You know, if if you want to make Glenn Beck your enemy, that's fine. That's nice. I mean, great. Um. But how does that really elevate the discourse of your show? I listened, uh, I, I've listened to several other hosts yesterday. I won't even mention who they are. Several other hosts yesterday, they just decided they were going to take Glenn Beck to the woodshed on their airwaves. You know what's funny is Glenn Beck has always been kind of this odd character. Okay, he's always been odd in a lot of ways. Odd in a good way, sometimes odd in a, well, odd way other times. I don't always agree with him, that's for sure. But it's weird how uh, all of a sudden the guy has become very popular and now the target is on his back and now he's getting attacked left and right. It's, uh, and I think, I really believe that some of it is just plain jealousy by people. And uh, I... Maybe I should, there's, there's audio of this. I should have, if I was really on my game today, I would have pulled the audio from, uh, from a show that shall remain nameless. But let's just say there is a female liberal talk show host that was all over Glenn Beck yesterday. And she, uh, it was quite clear in her comments. I think she's just upset that Glenn Beck has such a huge audience. She is. She's. I mean, she said that she's upset that Glenn Beck has such a huge audience. She can't imagine. She doesn't understand how Glenn Beck could get such a big audience. Maybe because he's good at what he does. Wow, that just that scares me. Look, radio. It's about entertainment, man. Radio is an entertainment-based medium. More power to you. If you can get more listeners to tune in, more people to listen to what you have to say than uh, the other guy down the dial, then good for you. That means you're doing something right. And if all these people, I've always looked at radio this way. If you've got a lot of people that are pissed off with you, if people are very upset with what you have to say, that means you're doing something right. That means you're making a difference in this business. The worst thing in radio, you know, I've always, I I like getting praise mails. I like when people um, give me compliments. I think that's great. But I always like the hate mail even more. I always liked the vitriolic hate mail, or even if it was hate mail that was constructive criticism, which was very rare. If people were going to write in hate mail, usually it was very angry. And But at least, see, that was a reaction, though. I liked it. I didn't care. 
I didn't praise mail, hate mail. I welcomed it all because it was a reaction. And that's what you're gauging. That's what you want. You want to react, not a reaction for the sake of having a reaction, but people that you have touched in some way to evoke some type of response. You know, it was one of the things that bummed me out here. I did this great show. This is just for my own personal universe. I did this great podcast on, on March 9th. You know, I had my, my Academy Awards rant. I thought it was the best segment I had done in probably two or three years. And, you know, not a single person commented on it. Not a single person gave any remarks on it whatsoever. I don't know. It bummed me out. I mean, I realize I have like seven people listening to the podcast. I understand that. But not one of the seven people said anything about that particular show. And I thought that that was, a, I, I, it was really, I thought it was my strongest segment that I had done in in two or three years maybe that says something about me maybe that was a very weak segment and clearly it was based on the reaction because I'm a results guy I'm a results guy you know I I uh, if I do a show and I don't get any reaction then that means I did a bad show that's what the results tell me just like um you know so Glenn Beck he must be doing something right he's getting a lot of reaction to what he's saying and he's talking about social justice, that uh, Jesus Christ was against social justice. And there's nothing about social justice written in the Bible. And that if you go to a church where they advocate for social justice, then you should go to a different church. That's what Glenn Beck was saying. And I mean, that, for some reason, that got people so bent out of shape that they want to do, uh, they've been calling Fox News. They've been calling uh, his syndicator. They've been trying to get him thrown off the radio, thrown off of Fox News. Now there's a whole story about how Glenn Beck is uh, is is bad for Fox News now and that uh, some of the anchors are trying to distance themselves from him because he's toxic to the environment over there. Well, last I checked, I don't know how toxic this is to the environment. People are watching him more now than ever. I think that says something positive about Glenn Beck. I think that says that his show is doing a great job. I think, you know, the ratings speak for themselves. The guy's getting more people watching him and listening to him than ever. I think that's, um, again, that's the results that you're looking for. This is an entertainment medium. So I know I w we really went uh, veering way off, but I just, I had to get that in. I had to mention that. Had to throw that out there. All right. So the healthcare debate. Now, uh, here's where we're at right now. As of the time that we are doing this podcast, and you know, this thing is in such flux all the time that... It can vary from day to day, minute to minute, second to second almost. All right, where we're at now is Nancy Pelosi is getting enough people together for a vote. She doesn't have enough votes yet for the health care bill. And what they're going to try and do is they're going to try and do a deem and pass. If you've never heard of deem and pass before, now what this means is, is they will take the Senate's bill and they will, they will, um, they will basically say, all right, we... It's a simple up or down vote. We are taking your bill and we are going to deem that good and then pass. We're going to we're going to use uh, we're going to implement our um, changes, our fixes into the bill, our amendments to the bill. And then we're going to pass it onto the president's desk. That's what happens all in one vote. It does not require two votes because what normally you would have to do. According to Article one, Section seven of the United States Constitution is that you would have, if the Senate gets a bill going, the Senate passes a bill, it goes to the House, the House uh, has to vote on that bill, any changes that they make, you know, then it bounces, it, it goes back and forth, okay? But demon pass is something that was started back in 1995. The Republicans actually got this going. The Republicans really only have themselves to blame for this. They, In fact, the Republicans have used demon pass many times uh, before, mostly for small legislation, mostly for a few, uh, you know, corrections, uh, rounding errors and things like that in bills. But uh, but demon pass has been going on for a while. Normally, though, you'd have, you know, two bills here. But no, they're going to take this existing bill, they're putting in their fixes, and then they're sending it on to the president's desk. He signs it. Done. And uh, whether or not it's constitutional, eh, look, if we were going to challenge the constitutionality of that, why wasn't it challenged every other time it's been done in the past? 
Sure, we were talking about maybe budget appropriations or other things that are not really sexy topics to throw around in a court to see if they're constitutional or not. But all of a sudden now it's being brought up. It's very clear that the Republicans don't want this passed. And I don't I don't blame them. I don't want to see this bill get passed either. But there comes a point where you just have to say, okay, when is it that we're going to be um, that we're we have to recognize that the Democrats are the party of majority right now. Much as we all hate it, the Democrats are the party of majority. They want to get this passed. Uh, What are we going to do? Are we going to bog this process down to the point where nothing gets done at all? Is that what we're going to do? We're going to bring about points of order. And you know why? You know why this bothers me that we're doing this? And understand, I want this to be made very clear. I'm opposed to this bill. I'm opposed to this. uh, First of all, this bill isn't even what the president had in mind. This bill isn't even what most Democrats have in mind, but they want it put through so it's a foot in the door towards socialized health care, okay? Which I'm against. But what is beyond uh, annoying about this is the fact that understand that if the Republicans want to engage in this practice now, that's fine. But what happens in November or what happens in 2012 or 2014 when the Republicans gain control of the House and the Senate and or the White House again? What happens when the Democrats try to do this? Because the Democrats, no doubt, the Democrats are going to use this ploy. They're going to use this tactic in the future. Uh, Is there any doubt in anyone's mind that they'll use this? That's why it's so dangerous to do this now. It's so dangerous for the Republicans to to use this. And then even if uh, the, the House passes this with demon pass, then, you know, they're going to they're going to go back to the Senate. They're going to go point of order, point of order. They're going to break this bill. They're going to make sure this bill gets uh, gets absolutely uh, trashed with points of order. And again, that's fine. And I'm I'm all for putting up a resistance to the bill. But here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. The Republicans are going to gain control of the House and Senate again, eventually. And the Democrats are going to do this. And you know who's going to be whining about it the most? Yeah, that's right. The Republicans. They're going to say, see, the Democrats are the obstructionist party. See, the the roles are going to be reversed. And that's the problem. That's what I'm really afraid of is going to happen as we continue with this nonsense. That's what I worry about. I know why there is such fervent opposition to this bill, because among other things, the problem with this bill is the question that, I, that everybody has been having. It's the very first question I asked when we started talking about socialized health care, who's going to pay for it? Nobody to this day has been able to answer that very simple question. Who's going to pay for this bill? Who is going to be paying for the socialized health care? Are you going to raise taxes? Obviously, you're going to have to. So uh, we've already established that, I guess what, the rich are going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for it? Because with the structure that's been put forth in this bill or the structures that have been put forth in the past with tax increases on the on the wealthy, that would only pay for about a third of the cost of the bill. So who is going to pay for it? We're going to have to have broad sweeping tax increases in order to do it. There's just no other way. And even if I buy into some of the very generous estimates that say that this would reduce the deficit spending by $118 billion, even if I buy into this most generous estimate, here's the problem with that. The problem is, if you cut if you cut the deficit by $118 billion, well, uh, uh, the deficit for the first year of the Obama administration, the fiscal year, was uh, the budget deficit was $1.3 trillion. $1.3 trillion. So if we cut $118 billion off of that, that leaves over one, that's like what, uh, $1.1 trillion, more than $1.1 trillion still in deficit spending. And I really don't know if I can buy into these figures because then I, I can find other figures that, uh, let's see here, where this, this really won't cut down deficit spending. Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to pay for it? And then uh, what about the insurance companies? And, you know, I'm for, I, I have to tell you, because inevitably if you oppose this bill, it means, 
in the mind of the zero and one crowd out there, the left and right, the DNR crowd, if you're opposed to this, it means that you're just an evil conservative. It means that you don't care about sick people and that you're a pro insurance company. You're pro big business. No. I, uh, I have to tell you that insurance companies uh, and credit card companies, um, they both have a very hot place in hell for them, okay? But, and I, I am all for uh, some, sort of, some sort of reform on things. I mean, the, things are out of hand. When the average cost, when the average uh, healthcare cost in this country is over $10,000, which is higher than anywhere else on planet Earth, Yes, that sends up a red flag to me. That sends out a problem. But the way you knock down health care costs, you know, if you really want to make some serious changes, this bill should have had tort reform as its primary way of cutting down health care costs. Tort reform. And I know that'll mean someone will say to me, well, Mike, does that mean that someone that's been the victim of malpractice legitimately can't sue for anything more than... 200,000 or 300,000 or some set dollar amount? No. Tort reform really is about cutting down on the amount of frivolous lawsuits that are out there. We have so many frivolous, so many useless lawsuits that are going on out there right now. We have so many people that are suing other people uh, that it's just, it's ridiculous. Well, they gave me uh, aspirin instead of Tylenol in in the hospital. I'm suing for a million dollars. And by the way, if you think I'm making that up, if you think that's a hyperbole, it's not. People do that sort of thing because everybody's looking for a payday. When you go for a surgery in a hospital and it costs you $20,000, you know, the doctor, the, the surgeon that performs the surgery, you'd think that, you know, in, in you probably think that the surgeon gets 80% of that. They probably get 16 grand. No, surgeon probably gets a thousand bucks for that. So then where does the other 95% of that cost go? Well, most of that goes right to the hospital and most of that goes to their malpractice insurance. And you see, yeah, you say, well, there's the insurance again. Yeah, insurance companies have a problem and the insurance company's problem is they're constantly being sued by trial lawyers. If you got in there and you went after, you went in for some serious tort reform, you got in there and uh, and really did away with uh, these frivolous lawsuits and you made this, you made this like it was because people cite, oh, well, what about the UK? You cite the UK. Well, you know, in the UK, if you sue somebody and you lose, you pay the court costs, you pay the attorney's fees, you sue and you lose, you pay. That's what happens. And that's what should happen here. You want to go sue somebody because they gave you aspirin instead of Tylenol? Well, guess what? You better hope you win then. Because if you don't, you're on the hook. You're done. I mean, it's time for some tort reform big time. If you did that, that would be that should be the centerpiece of any bill on reforming the healthcare industry right there. Period. You take the the lawyer, the filthy kind of scummy trial lawyer aspect out of this, and you've got yourself a uh, you've got yourself a much better system. Lawsuits don't go on like they do in uh, you know uh, we talk about everybody talks about Canada's healthcare system, their single payer system. You know why their system is considered more effective? Why their healthcare costs are lower? Again, no trial lawyers or very few. The lawsuits much less. Lawsuits in England, much less. Lawsuits in France, much less. That's the primary problem. Malpractice insurance is so high because hospitals and doctors are constantly being sued. Are they being sued because they're doing incompetent jobs? Most of the time, no. They're being sued by somebody that wants to make a buck. By an ambulance chasing lawyer, by an opportunistic, uh, you know, sort of vulture lawyer that's just hovering around well you prescribed vicodin when you should have been when you should have prescribed percocet okay now the person's addicted to vicodin well all right so how's that my fault well i don't know but we're gonna sue you for 117 million dollars that's what's gonna happen it just seems unfathomable to me all right, I guess the bottom line to this entire conversation is I just don't want to hear anybody talk about how 
Uh, it's bad when the Democrats use deem and pass on this bill and the Republicans did it a hundred times before. At the same time, I don't want to hear the Democrats talk about how uh, reconciliation, you know, how it's, it's great, you know, it's fine, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do now, when they were screaming about it back in 2005, saying that, that that's just not democracy, that's just not how it was intended to be done, that's not how the forefathers had intended things to be handled, it's not in the Constitution, it's not there. Just everybody stop being hypocrites for a little while, that'd be nice. God, you wonder why there is such an increasing anti-government sort of uh, ideology going around right now. I know people hate these Tea Party people. I know that people are upset with those guys. I know that people uh, think that anybody that doesn't uh, like the way government's going right now, they're, they're instantly being painted as a whack job. But there is an increasing sentiment rumbling throughout the country that's against the Republicans and the Democrats. The Republicans had their shot. The people by a sweeping mandate back in 1994, they got tired of 40 years of Democrat rule in the House and Senate. So they booted them out. And the Republicans came in there and they said, you know, we're going to clean things up. We're taking over. It's, uh, you know, taken over by storm. Yeah. And it was more fiscal irresponsibility. Instead of tax and spend, it was just spend. It was just... Um, it was horrible. Yeah, they did balance the budget one year, which is good, which is more than I can say for what's gone on since. But OK, fine. They balanced the budget one year. But other than that, bad. And then the Democrats came in and said, yeah, well, uh, we're going to now we're going to clean up the mess. We're going to make this better. Uh, it's going to be a more responsible, a cleaner Congress. No, it has not been. Uh, congressional approval numbers are in the toilet. People are tired of Congress. People are tired of these antics. People are just as tired of, uh, of, of John Boehner as they are of Dennis Kucinich. They're tired of everybody on the, on the right, in the middle, on the left. For the most part, for the most part, people are tired of these, uh, of these people. And I would have to agree. The incumbents, there is a very big, a very strong anti-incumbent sentiment that's going on right now. But the bottom line is, what does that translate to in November? What's going to happen in November? That's all that really matters to me. Uh, are we going to have, are the incumbents going to get tossed out in November? Or are we going to bring back most of these losers? We're going to bring back all of these jackasses back in November. Well, that'll be the ultimate test to see if America really has stones or not. We'll find out. We'll find out. The problem that I see generally, though, is people say, yeah, I want to throw all these bums out, but not my guy, not my representative. My representative is OK. I mean, yeah, I don't agree with them all the time. My representative, he's all right. He's 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 fine. But the rest of them, the rest of those bums have got to go. I can tell you right now. The senators from here in the state of Arizona, John McCain in particular, gone. I want him out of here. Now, trust me, J.D. Hayworth, it's like choosing a, a kick in the ass or a kick in the groin. I mean, it's really not a great choice. J.D. Hayworth, at least, the, the, the problem is, boy, he has really made some dumb statements, though, since he started his campaign. Yesterday had to be the topper. Yesterday, he actually went to the... Uh, if we approve gay marriage, he pretty much went to the card of if we approve gay marriage, then we're encouraging people to go have sex with horses. <laughs> that's, I'm not making this up. That's pretty much what he said. He was on Rachel Maddow's show and and he pretty much said that if we allow if we allow people, if we allow gay marriage. Uh, then, you know, uh, next thing you know, people are going to have sex with horses. He really did make that argument. You know that that's one of the, that's like a hack argument. When somebody makes that argument, that means they got nothing. They got nothing. When they make that argument, they got nothing. And that's exactly what J.D. Hayworth is. So believe me, I don't, I would not want to choose him. But really, what, what choice do we have? It's John McCain or J.D. Hayworth. At least J.D. Hayworth uh, will fight against illegal immigration which is more than I can say for old lettuce John McCain there. But other than that, oh, God, what a horrible choice. What a terrible decision. And you're going to say, oh, well, what about the Democrat candidate, Mike? And to that, I would say, <laughs> yeah, right, buddy. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, first of all, we all know that there's not a chance 
in Hades. There's not a chance ever that a Democrat is going to win that seat. First of all, what Democrat would was going to run against either John McCain or J.D. Hayworth for that Senate seat? Who would step forward and do that? Probably you'd have to be a little bit crazy to do it anyway. And there's no way I'd probably vote for them because they would probably be just another Obama sycophant. Listen, I'll vote for whoever runs as long as they make some sense, as long as they're somewhat reasonable a candidate, as long as their name is not John McCain, chances are they're going to get my vote. So I'm not one of those people that says, oh, yeah, well, my guy's okay. My representative's fine. Because in the Senate, uh, we've got John McCain and then John Kyle, and I'm not really big on John Kyle either. More, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, John Kyle's better than John McCain, but come on. And then in the House, oh, boy. The House is another disaster. Our representatives there, oh, boy. But yeah, uh, bad stuff. My district, ah, oh boy. Oh, boy. All right, so... Uh, that's I, I don't want to hear that. Well, my guy's OK, but throw all the rest of the bums out. I say there's a few good guys in Congress. There are there are a few good guys. But generally speaking and ladies, there are a few good people in Congress. But otherwise, uh, I would say generally throw the bums out. And I'm not saying my guy's a good guy. I'm saying most of them are bad. So if every one of them got thrown out, I wouldn't feel bad. Wouldn't feel bad about it at all. All right. It's time to take a break. What happens when I don't uh, do a podcast for a while, then the opening segment winds up going, you know, 30, almost 37 minutes. Not that I'm complaining necessarily. It's, uh, it's fine. It's all right, I guess. It seems like every day it's not like I have much else to do. I have one hour of my week committed to something. That's it. I know, isn't that? That's sad. I'm not talking about podcasts either. Uh, you wonder why I'm in therapy. All right, well, look, let's take a break. It's Michael Groff in exile. On a Wednesday, coming back. Mike at KMGX.com, our email and PayPal address. Send money. We'll be back. And I am aware now of how everything's gonna be fine. One day, two late, I am out hell. I am prepared now. Seems everyone's gonna be fine. One day, too late, just as well. Same, the same, the same. I stay the same. You don't know what you got till you're missing it a lot. I had to go throw it away. I was wrong from the start, from the bottom of my heart. I apologize. What I did to you was hurtful. What I'm going through is hurtful. I used to bide my time. Back with segment number two, Michael Groff in exile for a Wednesday, March 17th. Here we go. It was a foolish game I played. Nice spring weather, 80 degrees out. We got spring training going on. Baseball season right around the corner. That's always the best time for me. I love, love the baseball season. Ah. I got a message from somebody here just uh, while I was uh, taking a little break here between segments. Somebody asked me, what are you doing for St. Patrick's Day? And I said, I don't know, probably nothing. <laughs> I'm such an exciting person, aren't I? Okay. All right. Well, let me, um, man, there's, there's so much other stuff going on too. You <laughs> see this last week. I didn't get to comment on this. Last week, the Catholic Church came out and said that the problem that they're experiencing in the church is that the Vatican has uh, has a problem. They're, they're overrun by Satan. Well, that's not exactly how they said it. They said that they need to be doing more exorcisms 
there needs to be more exorcisms done, especially on these uh, on some of these priests that have been, that have lost their way. Essentially, the Catholic Church is blaming the devil. They're saying the devil made me do it for their wrongdoings with little boys. And the best part is, as I was listening to a talk show, this there was a host here uh, locally. This host was agreeing with that, saying, "Oh no, I've seen exorcisms. I I buy into that." Oh, I think, I definitely think that there's some problems that, uh, that yeah, that they needed to be doing some exorcisms. You really believe that that some force climbs into somebody's body and causes them to do something that they wouldn't otherwise normally do? You really buy into that crap? Oh, the devil made me do it. We sit here and laugh at the devil made me do it, but they're actually using the devil made me do it as a legitimate excuse? The Catholic Church, ladies and gentlemen, on this St. Patrick's Day, let's throw that out there. The the Catholic Church saying the devil made me do it with the uh, with the little boys and everything. Well, that's not. I mean, they're saying that uh, it's exorcism. You know, don't be afraid. We got to do some of these exorcisms. Okay, sure. Uh, how about the exorcism that I recommend is is uh, is chemical. Actually, it's not even chemical. The exorcism I recommend is uh, the removal of your penis, the removement, uh, the removal rather of your genitalia. That would be the best exorcism that could possibly be brought about. All right, on a slightly less serious note, but still important, the NFL is having a, uh, well, they're going to decide what they're going to do with the overtime rules. For a long time, I've advocated that the NFL kind of shift to more of a college situation, though I think what really should happen is both teams get a possession. Okay, so whoever wins the coin toss isn't necessarily guaranteed to win the game. If you win the coin toss, great. You get the ball or you, you get to choose to kick or receive to start the uh, the overtime period. And if you should score on your possession, then the other team gets an opportunity to score. They get the ball. They get one possession. And if they score, then after that, it becomes a sudden death situation. Or if neither team scores, then it becomes a sudden death situation. As long as both teams get to have a possession of the ball to start uh, to play in the uh, the overtime period. That's all I'm I'm advocating for. Now, the NFL agrees with this, or at least the proposal that's out there is pretty much that. Both teams will get a possession. Here's the problem with that. They're going to do that just for the playoffs. So you mean you're going to have one set of rules for the regular season, and then you're going to have a different set of rules for the playoffs. So in the regular season, if neither team scores in the, in, in the overtime period, you know, if they go uh, 10 minutes without scoring then of course it's a tie. But the first team to score in overtime is still going to be the winner. They're still going to do that in the regular season. But in the postseason, they're going to say, okay, those rules that you played by in the regular season, okay, those are out the window. Now we're going to go to the uh, to each team getting a possession. No, that's stupid. That's stupid. What you do is, is you play by the same rules in the regular season as you do in the postseason. It's just like how baseball... And this just gives me an opportunity to get this dig in. I still, still, to this day, I can't figure out why we're keeping the DH. You have a DH in one league, you don't in the other league. Real men don't need a DH. Okay, that's the problem. That might be one of the primary reasons I hate the Yankees anyway. I mean, look, DH, God. All right, so you uh, so that's one uh, proposal that's being made to the NFL. I hope they do go ahead and do that, though. I really, I do hate the um, I hate the overtime rules as they are now. Sudden death just sucks because if you win the coin toss, you win the game. That's pretty much how it goes. It's about two thirds of the time the team that wins the coin toss wins the game. And this, I'm looking at the statistics here. It's uh, it's almost sixty seven percent. That's not good. All right, well. Um, of course, if Phil Luckett is the uh, is the ref, then maybe not. And maybe he'll just give the ball to whoever he wants. All right, and shifting gears to give you an update on something that we brought you a couple of weeks ago. Remember John McCain was going to go on this big campaign against those evil, evil natural supplements? He was going to go after the supplement industry, big supplements. We've heard of big pharma. Well, we've got big natural supplements, big health, <laughs> whatever. Well, I guess he's decided to back way off of that now. Good. Somebody finally probably got a hold of him. He probably received enough calls from people saying, John, what the hell are you doing? 
But whatever, he backed way off of it, and that's good. So I don't think that we're going to get a, uh, a regulatory commission set up to go after natural supplements. Well, you know, we should really be able to tell what's in this. I got a clue for you. If it says vitamin C on the label, chances are I'm just going to go way out on a limb and say, it's vitamin C. Okay, this isn't like uh, whatever you get from uh, a pharmaceutical, okay? This isn't like when you take a, a, a drug and you have no idea what you're getting and you have no idea what the side effects are. Okay, the side effects of taking too much vitamin C, you're going to be peeing out vitamin C or pooping out vitamin C. You know, the side effects, yeah, I guess you could OD on vitamin C. Sure, you can OD on anything. You can OD on water. You can OD on oxygen. If you sit there and you take in too much oxygen, you're going to pass out. Just like if you get not enough, you know, love is like oxygen. You get too much, you get too high, not enough, and you're going to die. That sounds like a great idea for a song. Hold on, I'm going to get... Love is like oxygen. You get so much, you get too high. Not enough, and you're going to die. Love gets you high. Yeah, well, it's very important that we put those uh, warning labels on on uh, echinacea. I can see how that could be very dangerous if you if you start injecting. I, I know people, listen, I know somebody that was addicted to potassium. Oh my God, this guy. Hey man, hey man, I'm all hopped up on the K, man. K, you mean quaalude? No, 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 dude, potassium, man. It's, it's on the periodic table, man. The periodic table! Maybe somebody finally got a hold of John McCain and said, hey, hey John, just so you know, uh, it's an election year, and the guy that's running against you, well, he's kind of a tool. Uh, right now, you're looking like an even bigger tool than he is, so uh, might wanna might wanna pull back on that one. I can see why you'd want to go after the ever dangerous B12 and fish oil and omega threes. Oh, those omega threes—they'll get you. They'll get you every time. Oh, brother. All right, last night, the Phoenix Suns managed to do a couple of things. Uh, first of all, they scored more points in the first half than any other team this year in the NBA. They had 79 first-half points against the struggling, and that's using the term very loosely, the struggling Timberwolves, who came into the game at 14-53, and 53, and but for the New Jersey Nets, would be the worst team in the NBA. The Suns... Uh, they, they cooled off in the second half, though. They only scored 73 points in on, on route to a 152-114 to 114 drubbing of the T Minnesota Timberwolves. You know, Al Jefferson actually didn't have a bad game. How did you like that? You, you score 114 points. Like, you go to the Timberwolves before the game and you say, all right, I got good news for you tonight, guys. Uh, you're going to score 114 points, but there is bad news. What's the bad news? You're going to lose by 38. You're, you're going to get blown out of the building. God, I wish I was in Vegas last night. I would have. Oh, I love uh, Suns Timberwolves games because they always seem to go over the total. I was in Vegas last time they played each other, and it went over by only one. And I kept telling John, I said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go play that. I'm gonna go lay the over the total." And I never did, and I still regret it because I I would have made lots of money just like last night. But the problem is, you know, I really don't have any money to put on the game, so. Here I sit just uh, counting all the lost money or the the money that I, I just couldn't get. Wow, 152 points, though. And uh, so the Suns, uh, they continue to, um, well, they're, they're sitting in the sixth spot in the, uh, in the Western Conference. The bigger story, and it comes again from the local aspect. I'm sorry if I'm doing too much local stuff here, but this is actually amazing. The Phoenix Coyotes, I know nobody cares about hockey, but I'm going to bring up a, a hockey story. I know it's dangerous. The Phoenix Coyotes are only five points out of first place in the Western Conference. Now, okay, big deal, you might say. Well, number one, this was a team that at the beginning of the season was slated to maybe, maybe be able to compete for a playoff spot, but probably not. Not only are they competing with for a playoff spot, they're very likely or have a, a very good possibility of hosting a first-round playoff series. More importantly, they could be number one in the Western Conference. They're only five points behind San Jose, and this is a team that at the beginning of training camp didn't even have a coach. 
This is a team that made seven trades at the deadline, much to the chagrin of other teams in the NHL who say, wait a minute, what's going on? First of all, we hear Phoenix has no money, and then the NHL takes over the operation, then they make seven trades at the deadline. But I think it's just a great story. First of all, it's great for the Phoenix Coyotes. It's great for the city of Glendale. It's great for the community. It's great for those players. It's great for the coach. It's really, it's good for the NHL to have a good story like this, even though nobody cares about the NHL. It's still an overall, it's a great story. And they could, it's possible, they could still catch San Jose to be the number one overall seed because San Jose has been playing very bad hockey of late. The Coyotes are again playing well. I think what did they win? Six in a row. They're back on a six-game winning streak. Unbelievable. All right. Well, I think uh, I think I need a break or something. One of those things. All right. Uh, so when we continue, I got to give you a couple of uh, lawsuits, some other weird stuff. Just so much weird stuff that's on my desk. Really, I could sit here and do like a five-hour show. I'm pretty convinced of that. But on the other hand, uh, probably I won't. You know, I mean, at some point, even a train's got to come to a stop, right? All right, what you're listening to right now is Michael Graff in Exile. All of our contact information includes the following. Email mike at kmgx.com. That's also the PayPal address for your most generous donations to help me out because God knows I do need it. And um, Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. EFNet IRC, Net Radio, the channel. All of our contact information and a whole hell of a lot more is available at michaelgroff.com. Yeah, I'm, I'm tapping into the acoustic library again, clearly. Michael Groff in exile, and uh, we'll be back. Final segment of Michael Graff in Exile for a Wednesday. St. Patrick's Day. I didn't bust out with any St. Patrick's Day imaging for the show. I didn't do any Irish accent. I didn't do anything festive or special. I didn't even wear green. Or did I? I bought a ticket to the end of the rainbow. I'll watch the stars crash in the sea. I don't know, man. If I could ask God just one <sighs> Why aren't you here with me tonight? We'll know love can move Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address and the PayPal address for you to send your most generous contributions to the program. AOL Instant Messenger for that more instantaneous feedback, or at least for you to know that you've sent me a message. I did get it, and I will eventually respond. Michael Groff Show is the screen name over there, all right? And michaelgroff.com for more contact information about this show, podcasts, and all sorts of other fun stuff. Yeah! All right, let's look at some, uh, some stupid lawsuits. And some various other uh, stupid news items here. I've got got quite a few of them. This it's just overflowing the uh, the, the stuff at uh, at the stupid news desk here of uh, Michael Graff in exile. This is um, it's 
I think it's I think it's just ridiculous where we're at now, but this this is where we're at. Here we go. Everybody knows the world is close to people. So meet me at the mission of midnight for divvy up there. Alright, Dayline Huntington Beach. An eleven year old boy has filed a claim with the city asking for more than five hundred thousand dollars after he tripped and burned his foot. On a fire pit at Huntington State Beach. This is according to city documents. Chad Cannon of Temecula was walking on the beach near near uh, Brookhurst Street and Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah, we've, I think I think I've been there. When he tripped on a fire pit covered with sand on September seventh. This is according to a claim filed by attorneys at uh, Gib. We have the Gibson and Hughes firm. I can just see their their commercial right now. Have you not been paying attention to where you're walking? You accidentally tripped over a fire pit, fell down a flight of stairs. If you have some other trumped up case you need, then you need proper representation. Gibson and Hughes. I'm sure. The boy sustained second and third degree burns on his foot, the claim says. He was admitted to the UCI burn unit and suffered permanent scarring and uh, oh, and disfigurement to his foot, according to the claim. Cannon alleges that the city failed to maintain, clean, and landscape the fire pits and surrounding areas on the beach. City officials said that they will reject the claim because the incident occurred on a state beach which is not maintained by the city. The boy's attorney could not immediately be reached for comment. Probably because he's sitting there going, all right, now, can, can you, when we go to court, they make sure that they get everything straight. All right, all right, kid, now when you walk into court, you, you limp in. You know what? I think it'd be even more effective if we just wheeled you in in a wheelchair. You know what? Wheeling him in might be too over the top. All right. Are you kidding? Two other families recently filed claims against the city and state after they said their children were burned by the pits. All right. I just have to say this. Pay attention to where you're going. The parents said that the fire pit was, quote, almost totally submerged in the sand so as to create a hidden danger. All right, look, if I'm the judge, this is what I say. Here's what happens. I say, you get your damage, you get your medical bills. I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna be generous. Well, the Democrats are in office. We can be a little bit more generous with the money. We can just hand out stuff. So I would say you get your medical damages. You have some permanent scarring. You know what that's worth to you? All right, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what we'll do. $5,000 in a trust fund for you when you turn 18. So it'll gain some interest. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a generous mood. Normally, I'd give you nothing. But even though you're stupid and even though you weren't paying attention to where you were going and even though, quite frankly, you know, accidents happen. See, why can't it be nowadays that accidents just happen? Accidents happen. But of course, no. Somebody has to be at fault for the accident. There always has to be some type of blame to go around. No. Accidents happen. Sorry. But in this case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, all right, all right. Here's your, because there is permanent damage. There's permanent scarring. Maybe we could make the 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 claim that okay, the the state is maybe slightly at fault. So medical damages, any any uh, any you know outside of insurance, whatever you know, your deductible, we'll give you that, and uh, I'll give you some money for a trust fund. That way, your parents can't get it. Your parents don't get any of it. You don't get any of it until you turn 18. Have a nice day. See you later. There. That's how I handle it. That's Judge Groff. And, and frankly, Judge Groff is being very generous today because normally Judge Groff would have laughed you out of the court. Judge Groff would normally say, no, you get nothing. You get zero. You get zero. You don't even get your medical. Uh, I, I would bring in the people that are responsible for maintaining the beach. And I would say, did you do a reasonable job in maintaining the beach? They would say yes. And I would say, OK, well, uh, what do you normally do? What is your normal procedure? And maybe I'd say to him, all right, look, you got to pay the kids medical expenses. The state has to pay the kids medical expenses the end that's the end of that story oh wait no 
The city recently put back 84 fire pits that had been taken out after some residents contested the removal. The city originally took half the pits away because of budget constraints. You know what? Okay, fine. All right. Here's what we do. No more fire pits on a beach. It's a beach. All right. A beach is, you know, you can go out there and sunbathe. You can go and hang out. You can go and uh, and go in the water. Uh, no more fire pits. We're done with the fire pits. We're done. Beach is not for a cookout. The beach is for sitting out there and, and getting mocked by, by other people because you're not attractive. That's what the beach is for. At least that's that's always been that's always been my experience. And for guys coming around selling blankets. Oh, wait, that's in Mexico. But OK, it, that's still what it is. All right. Um, and then we have uh, another stupid lawsuit. Here's a great story for you. Uh, this is from. Let's see. This is actually from uh, Derby. I, I think this is a, across the pond. I think this is in England. Uh, the debate on Monday in Superior Court is whether or not the video, a video shows a police officer stealing a hose or just looking at it. The police officer is Mustafa Moose Salahuddin. He's on trial on six degree larceny charges. Salahuddin is accused of stealing a newly purchased garden hose. He's been on administrative leave since his 2008 arrest. Salahuddin says that he didn't do it. He and his lawyer, Rob Lobserenfowitsk, wow, believe that he was targeted by local law enforcement leaders because he has a history of conflicting with police department brass. Police department leaders said that uh, have, have, they, they said that they disliked Salahuddin uh, since he filed the complaint more than a decade ago. So there's there's been some struggle back and forth between him and the police department. He's a police officer. He's been fighting with other people in the police department, so they don't like him. So they trumped up a charge to get rid of him. At least that's what he says. Uh, he's also also has a discrimination complaint pending against the department with his uh, state commission on human rights and uh, blah, blah, blah. So there you go. If convicted. The misdemeanor larceny charge carries a maximum sentence of 90 days in jail and a $500 fine. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. They say that he stole the garden hose, but of course, the garden hose wound up being located in the police station. I mean, that's that's kind of weird. Anyway, there's a lot more detail on this story, but I just think that was uh, pretty funny. So there's a big trial going on, uh, taxpayer dollars being spent to investigate. I, actually, I think this is going on here in the United States. This is uh, investigating whether or not, whether or not uh, a guy stole a garden hose valued at $24.95, a garden hose that wound up being located in the police department that he allegedly stole it from. Uh, I have a feeling uh, this is just, Maybe this is a little bit of a Detective Groff at work. You've heard of Judge Groff. Now there's Detective Groff. Detective Groff thinks that, uh, quite frankly, uh, this this doesn't look like it was a, uh, a a heisted hose. All right, it doesn't look like it. Looks kind of like a, a made up story, uh, kind of to me. I don't know. I, I I guess I've just got my my sleuth hat on today. I'm wearing all my different hats. I'm wearing my judge hat. I'm wearing my uh, wearing my detective hat. I got a lot of hats. Trust me on this. That's some of your stupid news. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com, Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, any comments about the program, any concerns, any questions, anything. I want to mention this. I got a text message uh, from somebody that listens to this show. Um, he's on my MySpace page, and uh, it was very nice. This guy uh, text messages me the other day and just, you know, sees if I'm all right because I hadn't put up a podcast in a while. It was a very nice gesture, and um, so I just wanted to sort of uh, publicly thank him uh, for doing that. It was uh, this guy, uh, this guy Ramsey, that uh, listens to the show, so that was cool of him, and uh, I appreciate that. I, 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 you know what? I didn't even return his text message because I, I don't even know. I, well, I got it. I was like half asleep um, when he sent it, so um, I. I I was going to return it, and then I, I just didn't. So 
I figured I would do it in the form of uh, a podcast. I would mention it here. So I do appreciate it. Yes, it did. I did receive your text message. It did not go unnoticed. And I appreciate it. And my number is up on MySpace, my cell phone number. I just realized that. And uh, that scares me, but no, actually, it's fine. Um, If only a hot chick would call me on the cell phone number. All right, um, Mike at KMGX.com. That's also our PayPal address. So, you know, if you felt really moved by this broadcast or you really feel sorry for me or there's a little bit of a Democrat in all of us and you just feel like, you know, handing me some money, which I think would be just tremendous, then do so. All right, NCAA tournament time right around the corner. We've got the brackets. I'm uh, I'm filling one out currently. I'll, I'll let you know what I've got here. Um, you know, I, I, I've pretty much got, you know, my bracket actually doesn't have a lot of upsets in it. I really do. You know, I don't have a lot of upsets here. Sorry. I got all the, most of the higher seeds winning, except for, I don't know, I got, a, I got like Old Dominion winning. A couple of, you know, a game or two, but we'll break all that down, too. All right, it's Michael Graff in Exile. Thank you so much for checking us out. We will see you tomorrow if I get motivated enough to do a podcast. We'll see. Have a uh, great day. See you tomorrow.